It's time for the OTH Daily Podcast. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. Happy New Year, and welcome to the OTH Daily Podcast. We have a great episode for you today, and we finally are here, 2020, a new year, a new decade, and we are starting it off strong with our highly anticipated brand new podcast. It's January 1st, 2020. I'm your host, the man behind the mic, Christian S. Rao, and here at the OTH Daily Podcast, our mission is to break down all the top stories in the world of sports to help you start your day off right. Each day, a writer from OTH will join me on the air, and we will break down everything you need to know for your daily commute. I'm super excited for this new journey, so let's get started. Today, I'll be joined by Ken Cotter. Ken is a senior writer for OTH, and you can find him on Twitter at SSBasketballPod. Hey, Ken, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Happy New Year, by the way. 2020, can you believe it? Yeah, I know. It's been it's been a pretty long decade. It's hard to believe that uh, we're, we're heading into 2020 already. Absolutely, and uh, it's going to be a great year uh, for OTH. I'm really excited. I'm glad to be a part of it. I know you are, too. Uh, but let's just get right into it because that's what we're here for, right? We're here for the OTH Daily Podcast. Uh, for all you guys, I'm really excited for you guys to be here and listen to this. But let's just get right down into it. And let's start off with college football. And let's start with the Belk Bowl. That was the first one we had yesterday in the games. We had Kentucky against Virginia Tech and Lynn Bolden Jr. That's all I got to say. Looking for space and he finds it. Good block upfield. Springing Bowden. The cutback inside the 10, another broken tackle, and Lynn Bowden hits Pater. He had himself a day for the Wildcats. One of the wide receivers uh, converted into a quarterback. He rushed for 233 and two touchdowns. He also threw a late touchdown pass to seal the deal for the boys in blue. Uh, what do you feel about this game? Kentucky looked really good throughout. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, Bowden only had 73 passing yards, but, I mean, he seemed to do all of his damage on the ground. And, I mean, Kentucky, for the most part, that was – that was kind of what they were going to all day. Uh, Hendon Hooker had a nice day for uh, Virginia Tech. He only had 110 uh, passing yards, but two TDs. He was pretty solid. And then, I mean, what can you say about the finish? Bud Foster in his final game with that seven-point victory. Bud Foster was a defense coordinator for Virginia Tech for a long time, uh, over 20 years. And he was he coached his last game here at the Bells Bowl. And Virginia Tech couldn't come out with the win, but... Hey, what a great career for Bud Foster. Both teams will end the year at 8-5, and five, though. Very respectful for teams in ACC and SEC that really don't um, see too much success uh, in the last few years, especially in this decade that we just got out of, I should say, the 2010s. Uh, but, yeah, fantastic game to start off the New Year's Eve for sure. Uh, let's move on to another game. Um, and, <laughs> honestly, this game had the same kind of momentum and same kind of feeling, in my opinion. That was the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. On a trick play, running wide open, his chance won! Brought down at the five-yard line, it'll be first down and goal! 
another mobile quarterback, Malcolm Perry. He rushed for 213, and ultimately, to me, I feel he was the deciding factor in this one. And uh, they won a, a thrilling game, Navy did, uh, against Kansas State, 20-17. to What did you feel about that one? Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, looking at this game, I mean, uh, for Navy to have 421 total yards to just 170 for Kansas State, I mean, they did a lot of their damage on the ground. 323 rushing yards to just 46 for Kansas State. I mean, yeah, what, what can you say other than it, it was a ground battle uh, that Navy was looking to get into, and uh, they did it effectively. I mean, they had seven different guys with rushing attempts in this game. So, And this is not a typo. 2,017 rushing yards. It's actually a new FBS record for quarterbacks. He broke uh, Northern Illinois' Jordan Lynch's record uh, of, nine, of 1920, 1,920 yards from 2013. So he got a record-breaking performance from that Navy quarterback, Malcolm Perry. I really hope he gets an opportunity – uh, to show his skills in the NFL. Maybe some team will put him up there. I- I'm really excited for that. So number 23 Navy will finish with an 11-2 and record on the year. Very impressive. And Kansas State will end up, end up with 8-5. and five. Uh, Great. We had some great bowl games for sure yesterday. And uh, it ended off with the Alamo Bowl. And the Alamo Bowl was uh, quite shocking. If, you know, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. But Texas came in and just blew up number 11 Utah, 38-10. to 10. And things got choppy quick. Option, pitch. Ingram leaps over the would-be tackle. What a play! Ingram gets the first down. Now, a hit away from the ball against the quarterback. All kinds of flags thrown. Ellinger hops up, and Utah's losing its cool. Utah definitely lost their composure towards the end of that one. Texas junior quarterback Ben Ellinger. He had 201 yards, three touchdown passes, and a pick, and Texas just looked beautiful. Utah's star-studded running back, Zach Moss, was only held to 57 yards. Uh, Texas just looked great. 38-10 to 10 final on that one, and uh, number 11, Utah, goes down. How do you feel about that one as we end the bowl, bowl games for last night? I mean, the fact that Utah came into this game as seven-point favorites and for them to get beat down as badly as they did, I mean, it's pretty shocking. Uh, I think a lot of people had them as uh, possibly sneaking into the top four before their loss to Oregon. And I mean, now to Texas as well. Uh, Utah, as you said, uh, they struggled rushing the ball. They only had 128 rushing yards. I think they averaged over 200 per game. Uh, And Tyler Huntley didn't really get anything going until the fourth quarter. He threw a touchdown there, but dominant win for Texas. I mean, that's huge for their program. Uh, Sam Ellinger looked really good in this one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Sam Ellinger does. He is a junior. It'll be interesting to see if he does declare for the draft. But we had some great, great bowl games yesterday. And today is going to be, uh, it's the Mecca. I mean, we other than the, you know, the national championship coming up, New Year's Day, all about it. And there are four great bowl games. And I, I can't wait to talk about it. Let's get into it real quick. Uh, let's just get a brief preview. We'll talk about them obviously tomorrow uh, more in depth. But let's start right at the top, and that's the Outback Bowl. And that's Minnesota versus Auburn. Head coach of Minnesota, P.J. Fleck. I mean, they've had a great season. It's almost a storybook kind of. Uh, their unfortunate, you know, end to their college football chances wound up, you know, coming to an end towards the end of the season. Uh, they're, you know, this is a battle of two young quarterbacks. Tanner Morgan, he's a sophomore, and Bo Nix from Auburn. Uh, he's only a freshman. So this will be a very interesting game. Uh, arguably a top 10 pick in defensive tackle, Derek Brown from Auburn. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of good football going on in this one. How do you feel? Yeah, this is definitely going to be a really exciting game. I mean, Auburn's coming in. They're coming in on a two-game win streak. And, I mean, Minnesota had their uh, tough loss uh, a number of weeks ago to Wisconsin, 38-17. So, 
Uh, Minnesota being in this game, I think uh, it's definitely going to be really competitive. Uh, they had two really great years, and I can't wait to see it. Bo Nix and Tanner Morgan's just going to be a great matchup to watch. As we know, with that hip injury, uh, Mac Jones will be starting at quarterback. He took over that number one role for Alabama. And they are not in the college football playoffs, as we all know. They will be playing Michigan in the Citrus Bowl tomorrow. Uh, another quarterback who has had some struggled issues, Shea Patterson for Michigan. So we'll see two quarterbacks going at it, dueling it, and seeing if it'll be a good matchup. Uh, I still think Alabama's uh, – I got. I, I like them in this one. I think they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. Although they are missing two star defensive players who decided to, to go out of this game and wait for the NFL draft. That's linebacker Terrell Lewis and cornerback Trayvon Diggs. Uh, I like Bama on this one. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, Bama, they're opening and currently as seven-point favorites in this one. It's just a really exciting coaching matchup for me. I mean, Nick Saban versus uh, Harbaugh. Uh, this could be a statement game for Jim uh, as far as uh, coaching at Michigan because uh, he's really brought back the program, and I think a win over Alabama would be huge for him moving forward uh, when it comes to recruiting and other aspects of college football. But uh, Alabama does have the slightly better defense. I, I do think it is another one of those matchups where you got to watch the quarterbacks because Mac Jones instead of Tua and then Shea Patterson, as you said, he's had a decent year with 22 touchdowns and six interceptions. But uh, I think it'll ultimately come down to who plays better out of the two of them. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think the first the two matchups in the early, early spectrum of the game are all going to be based on these quarterbacks. And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, as we s- switch to the later games, uh, we do have another big time quarterback. Uh, in the Rose Bowl, and that's Justin Herbert from Oregon. Uh, and he's going to play Wisconsin, as you were just talking about earlier, if they just beat you know, Minnesota a few weeks back. Uh, this game is going to be fantastic. I think we're going to see a lot of good play out of Justin Herbert. And then Jonathan Taylor, the star running back for Wisconsin, both two offensive masterminds in this one. But I would not be surprised if this was a defensive battle. How do you think this one's going to turn out? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been a big fan of Wisconsin all year. Uh, they're coming in having won their last five bowl games. Uh, they're favored by less than a field goal, but uh, this is really a tale of two elite rushing offenses versus elite rushing defenses. So this is a, this could be another quarterback battle. I mean, Justin Herbert, 32 touchdowns and five interceptions so far this year. Uh, he's clearly the superior quarterback coming into this game, in my opinion. And uh, I really like Oregon's chances in this one as, as great of a year as Wisconsin's had. Absolutely. I'm going to take Oregon on this one, too. I think they definitely are going to win this one. Um, I think it's going to be close, though, but I'm taking the Ducks. Um, and we're going to end off with a Sugar Bowl. And, wow, we have a very frustrated Georgia team who just missed out on the college football playoffs playing Baylor, who also uh, was in the possibility of making an end. Uh, this game's going to be great. I think this is like almost uh, like a consolation bowl uh, for college football playoffs, if you will. Uh, Georgia, Georgia does have six starters out, though. Uh, however, they do still have Jake Fromm and their running back, Swift. Baylor, uh, we all know about Charlie Brewer. He will be playing after suffering that concussion in the Big 12 championship. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic game. This one's the game of the night. I'm glad it's the last one. It's in prime time. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, Georgia, as you said, they're coming in pretty depleted into this game. Uh, Baylor's really looking for something to prove, uh, as is Georgia, being that they did just miss out on the playoffs. Uh, Georgia's five-and-a-half-point favorites right now, which I have found pretty surprising just with how depleted they actually are. Uh, I do think that Jake Fromm is the better quarterback, but I mean, both quarterbacks are pretty banged up coming into this one. I mean, Fromm was just probable uh, coming into it as well. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really close game and uh, I actually don't know who I'm taking in this one. I think I'll just go with Georgia just as the uh, five seed. Uh, There you go. I'm taking Baylor. So I'm glad you picked that one. I think Baylor is going to be a tough football team in that big 12 championship was really impressive. 
Uh, so I'm taking Baylor to win this one. So there you have it. College football out of the way. Wow. It's going to be a great game. Great games today. Um, yeah, I, I re- I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll be right back. We're going to take a break real quick, and we'll be back, and we'll talk more about college sports and more. Next will be college basketball. And Duke, Duke looked pretty good. Your Duke team looked pretty good. We'll talk about it here just in a minute at the OTH Daily Podcast. Hey, sports fans. Do you want to start 2020 off right? Well, look no further than the sick merch we have at Overtime Heroics. OTH has teamed up with Design Tree to bring you original, trendy sports apparel. Check us out by searching Overtime Heroics on designtree.com. That's D-S-G-N-Tree.com. Or click our merch tab on our homepage at overtimeheroics.net. Don't wait, because the holiday sale is still going on now. Use promo code HOLIDAYS for 20% off your entire order. That's promo code HOLIDAYS for 20% off your entire order. All right, we got to talk about it because you are the senior writer for OTH, and one of the teams you do cover is the Duke Blue Devils. You actually are a huge contributor to OTH Duke Twitter page. Uh, so we have to talk about this game. And number two, Duke just annihilated Boston College, 88-49. to 49. Matthew Hurt, the 6'9 freshman, I mean, he went off for the Blue Devils. Uh, what, was, what was that? He had so he had 20-something points. I'll let you talk about it. But Duke moves to 12-1 on the season. Boston College only 8-6. But this Duke team looked really, really good. Yeah, I mean, th- this was definitely a big win for them. Uh, they'd been missing Trey Jones for the last couple of games. So uh, getting him back is huge for that offense. The offense had kind of been stagnant. They hadn't been hitting many shots. But that was definitely not the case tonight. Matthew Hurt at 20 points in the first half alone. He actually outscored Boston College. Uh, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Vernon Carey, he had kind of a quiet night, nine points, nine rebounds, but it was an all-around team night. Trey Jones with 10 assists for the team as well. Wendell Moore with 11. Uh, Their freshmen are really starting to step up. Uh, I think over the next little while, you're going to see Coach K start to shrink his bench a bit. Uh, They've been playing 10 guys pretty consistently, and he's going to drop it to eight. So guys are really fighting for minutes, which is good to see. It was a tough night for Derek Thornton, too. Uh, he returned to Cameron Indoor Stadium for, uh, I believe it was his first time since he had transferred out. Uh, he was a freshman at Duke, and then he went on to USC, and now he's at Boston College. But he was Boston College leading scorer, and he had a tough night for them. So uh, next up for Duke, they're going to have Miami, and I think Boston College goes on to play Virginia. So both teams are going to have some tough tests coming up here. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with Duke as they move forward. As I said earlier, they are 12-1, and now moving into that ACC play. Uh, what what makes it what does Duke have to do to get to that number one uh, in the country what does that need to happen I think they just have to keep winning uh, their games in their conference right now I mean Gonzaga is a pretty firm number one Uh, they don't have a lot of competition in the west coast conference there is a couple of teams that could give them some trouble St. Mary's comes to mind but uh, yeah I think it's long as Duke keeps winning, then they're going to be fine. They are in one of the tougher conferences in the country, probably the second best this year. And so uh, as long as they continue to win their conference games, uh, I don't think that they really play any tough uh, conference games until they get more so into February. So that would be the key for them. Absolutely. And uh, as we look on to today's game, we have two top 25 matchups. Fresno State will play number 13, San Diego State. San Diego State 13-0. Fresno State only four and nine. So it looks like that might be a pretty easy one. 
for the Aztecs. And East Carolina will head down to Wichita State, Wichita State number 24 in the nation. They're at 11 and 1, East Carolina 6 and 7. Got anything to add for those two ones? Yeah, I mean, the Aztecs have been led by Malachi Flynn all year. Uh, as you said, they're undefeated. Uh, San Diego State's going to be at home. So I do expect them to win pretty comfortably. This is to open up Mountain West Conference play for them. Uh, so I would definitely take San Diego State in that one. And I mean, Wichita just snuck onto the uh, top 25 rankings, I believe, in the AP poll. I think they're 24, uh, as well as they're on our uh, Overtime Heroics College rankings as well. Uh, Eric Stevenson and Tyson Etienne are kind of the, the solid scoring guards that they need. And uh, with Wichita being on a five-game win streak, I'd expect them to win this one as well. Let's move on to the NFL. And, you know, the playoffs are about to start, but we're not going to get too much into the playoffs. We'll talk more about that on Friday's episode as we preview Wild Card Weekend. But we've had a couple incidents happen uh, in the front office and just throughout the uh, you know, the entire uh, off the field issues, I guess you could say, uh, starting with the Cleveland Browns and Black Monday was not good to uh, a team in Cleveland. And Freddie Kitchens is out the door head coach. And now uh, general manager John, John Dorsey also is out the door for the Cleveland Browns. Looks like they're cleaning house. Love to hear how you feel about what Cleveland is going down and what their situation is. I mean, Kitchens definitely had to go. You could see it. Guys like Landry, he, he had lost the locker room with them. Uh, the Dorsey one, I guess, is a bit confusing to me. Uh, the fact that he did bring in as much talent as he had, uh, it just seemed a little bit odd to me that they were going to part ways with him as well. But uh, if they're looking to do a complete overhaul uh, with Baker being their quarterback, then maybe maybe that's the angle that they're going for. I think the Garrett helmet issue this year really wasn't was a bad look for them. So maybe they're just trying to wash themselves of, of the year as a whole. And the way to do that is to start fresh. But yeah, I'm, I'm not really too sure why Dorsey's gone, but Kitchens definitely uh, looked out of his out of his element for sure. Yeah, it looks like they need to have some sort of culture shift for sure, especially after that uh, that's that fiasco uh, with Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's definitely it might be one year too early with Dorsey, uh, especially after all the talent he brought in last offseason. I think it could have been pretty impressive to see him stick around for one more year and help build that team. But you're right, it looks like they're just going to try clean slate. Uh, speaking of another team, that uh, struggled this season. It's more in a rebuilding process. Uh, and that was the Washington Redskins. They hired Ron Rivera, former Carolina Panthers coach. And I really like this pickup. I think this is a great idea for Washington who has a mobile quarterback, kind of like Cam Newton uh, and Dwayne Haskins. Love to hear your take on this one, but I really like the Ron Rivera pickup here for Washington. Yeah. I mean, being a Dallas Cowboys fan, I, I know it's tough, but <laughs> I, the, the fact that uh, Washington picked him up definitely worries me. Uh, I know why Carolina parted ways with them. They were moving on from Cam, and I think that meant that Ron had to go as well. Although I don't know if Greer or Allen is the answer in Carolina. But when it comes to Washington, I mean, this is still a very poorly run franchise. It is good to see them bringing in a, in a good name in Ron Rivera. But I, I, hope that, I hope that Haskins is that franchise quarterback. And uh, if there is one guy that could turn him into one, it would be Rivera, being that he worked with Newton, as you said. So, yeah, it's a good move for Washington right now. Uh, and I do hope to see them improve because you never like to see teams suffer for as long as they have. So Yeah, it's good for the league to see different changes. It's good, it's good for not seeing the same over and over uh, teams, in my opinion. Uh, Washington's another team that also let go of their general manager, and this was Bruce Allen. Uh, a lot of fans very happy with that one uh, in the Washington area. I know that for uh, 
for a personal sake, I live uh, just a few hours south, so I get to see a lot of that sporting news out of Washington. Um, so very good news for Washington fans. I think they're majority, the majority of them are pretty happy. Uh, so let's talk about another, another topic here, and it's Antonio Brown. And I know that we're all sick of talking Antonio Brown. Come on, it's 2020. Are we moved on from AB? Unfortunately, no, we're not. So it looks like that Antonio Brown possibly was going to sign with the New Orleans Saints this week, and now he's calling it just a publicity stunt. I'd love to hear your take on this real quick. I don't want to talk too much about it, though, because as you said, I think it's we're beating a dead horse here. Yeah, and I mean, the Saints have been known to bring in guys for workouts. They did it with Dez last year, and yes, he did end up signing and before he got injured, but I mean, this is just a team that likes to see what's out there. Sean Payton's always been a guy that I think is just looking to see what's out there. Maybe maybe they didn't like what they saw, and maybe they ultimately decided that all of his social media antics and stuff just wasn't something that they wanted to get wrapped up in. So I don't view it as a publicity stunt by any means. Uh, I think if AB would just get off social media and maybe just get back to work, then he might have a shot of getting back into the NFL. But he seems to be off his rocker for sure. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, I think that there's still a lot of pending investigations that's going to happen with AB. So if he does sign, there's no way he plays in the playoffs, in my opinion. I don't think that's going to happen. And one last thing to end our NFL segment, and it is a playoff bit, and that's J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt, defensive end for the Houston Texans, activated to play against the Buffalo Bills on Saturday. J.J. Watt's been injured for the last few months with a torn pec muscle, and uh, he's ready to play. Very interested to see what happens there against my Buffalo Bills, so hopefully he doesn't do too well, but I love J.J. Watt. He's a great player. Walter Payton, player of the year. Uh, Wow, fantastic player. I'm really looking forward to watching that game. How about you? Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I really like the Bills uh, coming into this. Before I heard the J.J. Watt news, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be quite as effective being that he, you know, he hasn't played in a number of games, so there's going to be some rust there. But he's definitely their emotional leader, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, with Houston hosting that game, I mean, I'm rooting for your bills, but I'm not sure uh, if it's in the cards now with J.J. playing. Mm, well, I appreciate the love there, and I'm going to hold on <laughs> to that one. All right, so big question into the new decade, and what is your top moment of the decade? Cody Hodek breaks it down. Take a listen. Greatest Greatest moments of the decade. 2013 NBA Finals. Game 6. Just a few months removed from the supposed end of the world in 2012, the Miami Heat are down 5 against the San Antonio Spurs, 30 seconds to go in Game 6 of an elimination game in the 2013 NBA Finals. Flash forward, 17 seconds left. The Miami Heat are down by three. Picked up by Miller. Back out to James. Another three. It's good. James knocks it down. Norris Cole is already going crazy on the bench. Bosch grabs the rebound, hits Allen in the corner. Bang! Tie game. Puts up a three. Won't go. Rebound. Bosch. Back out to Allen. His three-pointer. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Ray Allen hits the biggest shot in NBA history which leads to the Miami Heat beating the San Antonio Spurs in Game 7 of the 2013 Finals. The game of the night in the NBA last night was the Rockets versus Nuggets. Both teams over 20 wins. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to lie, Ken, when I was writing the script, Last night, I thought 
that this game was going to be a lot closer. I thought this was going to be the marquee matchup, but this was just not the case. Rockets blew out the Nuggets. Uh, and Harden, Westbrook, Clint Capella, all those guys looked fantastic. James Harden, 10 for 17, 35 points, 6 assists in 34 minutes. Westbrook, 11 for 22, 28 points, 7 assists in 34 minutes. And Clint Capella gave himself a double-double at 16 and 10. The Rockets shot 15% better from the three-point line, uh, other than Nuggets, between 47% and 32%. Uh, Jokic did good for the, the Nuggets, 21 points, 8 rebounds. He was 10 for 17 as well, just like Harden. Shows a difference between the three-throw line for you right there. Uh, but, yeah, the Rockets just looked really good in this one. How do you feel? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, they were up 69-52 to 52 at halftime, and then Denver looked like they were coming back. They they outscored them by 14 in the third, but then Houston just poured it on in the fourth, 38-15. to 15. They ended up winning this game by 26. Uh, this is just a bad matchup, I think, for uh, Denver overall and uh when you're looking at the western conference this year i think that's what the playoffs is going to come down to is there's a number of teams that can win it strictly based off of matchups and this just is an ugly one for the nuggets i mean they had uh jamal murray and craig tonight playing uh and will barton and i mean when you're going up against westbrook and harden and they're not really defensive guards i mean they torched them they had 63 points and 13 assists combined between harden and westbrook and I think Capella is the type of guy that can uh, contain Jokic. I know he had 21 points and eight rebounds, but that's nowhere near what he can do production-wise. So, yeah, just overall a poor matchup for the Nuggets. But the Rockets looked really good tonight, as they can on any given night. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see as we move forward and we get closer to this halfway point in the NBA season, uh, what happens with these Western Conference teams because this wild, wild west is only getting – uh, it's getting more wild, I guess you could say. It's getting really impressive and really interesting, especially towards that top five teams uh, in the Western Conference. Today's, today's games aren't as interesting as, uh, as we had last night, in my opinion. We're seeing a couple, uh, a lot of losing records on the spectrum tonight. And we see the Magic versus the Wizards. Magic at 14 and 19, heading to Washington. Washington struggling 10 and 22. The Trailblazers with Carmelo Anthony and their revamped, revamped offense. They're trying to make a comeback season here. Uh, they play the New York Knicks, who we all know about the New York Knicks. They're uh, they're they're basically the laughing stock of the league. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, twelve and twenty, are going to face the Milwaukee Bucks at thirty and five. Uh, man, that could be a blowout. M- Milwaukee is a seventeen point favorite, and then the Phoenix Suns will face the Los Angeles Lakers. Suns are at thirteen and twenty. The Lakers twenty six and twenty six and seven. This one could be an interesting game, though. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, the the Lakers and Suns is definitely going to be an intriguing matchup just with Devin Booker. Uh, Having the year that he is, he's averaging 25, 6, and 4 right now. Uh, I do like the Lakers to take this one. They are 11-point favorites. One thing that I would be doing is hammering down on Portland and the Knicks right now because Portland's only the four-point favorite right now. So I would be taking that one for sure. Uh, Washington did have that shocking win over Miami a couple nights ago. That was without Beal and Wall and Bertans in the lineup, but I just don't see it happening back-to-back nights. Orlando's starting to figure it out now. Uh, they're clinging on to the eight seed in the East, and uh, I mean the Bucks and Timberwolves. Like it looks like the Timberwolves will barely be able to field a team right now. Uh, they've got Teague as game-time decision, so is Graham. They've got Layman out, Vonley game-time decision, Wiggins and Towns are both out. Like it's it's pretty disgusting right now what they're going through injuries-wise. So. Uh, that could be a big win for Milwaukee for sure. But yeah, not a lot of exciting games on the schedule on uh, New Year's Day, that's for sure. 
But there is one game that is very important on New Year's Day, and that is the NHL Winter Classic. And, you know, it's this is what, you know, football has, Thanksgiving, NBA has Christmas Day, and the NHL now has New Year's Day. And the Winter Classic will involve two teams who have never played in this marquee matchup, and we're playing in Dallas, Texas. So we'll be playing in the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, Texas, winter in Dallas. I don't know if that really makes any sense, but we'll see the Nashville Predators against the Dallas Stars. Nashville, 42 points. They're six in the Central Division. They're only three points away from the wild card. And Dallas is at 48 points with 22, 14, and four. And they're sitting third in the Central Division. They're holding on to a, uh, a playoff spot themselves. Really interested in this game. Really interested in this game. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, I had the privilege of attending the last Winter Classic that happened this year. The last outdoor game, that was when it was in Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, that was between the Flames and uh, Flames and Jets. But, I mean, it certainly was a lot colder here than it's going to be in Dallas, I would imagine. Uh, we're at almost t- minus 20 here. But, yeah, Dallas coming in, I mean, they sit fourth in the West. Tyler Sagan's been, uh, been on a bit of a tear now. He's up to 32 points on the year. Uh, this is really a story of the two goaltenders. Ben Bishop is having a really good year as well as uh, Pecorine as well has been, he's been just a consistent goaltender in the league for a while. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they fare. Uh, I was shocked to see the Predators actually two leading point getters are both defensemen. So uh, they're definitely a team that relies on their goaltending. And always the the question mark is how the ice conditions are going to be. I hope that they are uh, very solid in Dallas because uh, this is always a great game to watch. Who are you taking in this one between Nashville and Dallas? Uh, I'm going to take the stars in this one. Give it to the hometown team. Fantastic. There you go. Hey, Ken, thanks as always. I'm glad you were here for a first episode of the OTH Daily Podcast, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. Definitely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Tune in weekdays right here at the OTH Daily Podcast.